I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It's the Important Nonsense Podcast. I am your host, Steve Bonham, joined, as always, by the master of disaster himself, Mr. Neil Smith. Neil, how we doing this evening? Good, good. Can't complain. Doing as well as you're going to do in these times. And uh, can't wait to do the NFT show, Steve. This is this is always this is always an interesting show because this is usually where you poo-poo the Cowboys at me, and I tell you why you're wrong. That's the historic arc of this show. That's normally what we're going to do. And this year, for the first time in three years, it's not going to be that. Very interesting <laughs> to see how this all shakes out because we've never done this show before. Where we don't do it that way. That's normally that's where always works. That's fair. I can't argue with any of that. But no, again, as usual, all advice, rankings, and data based on a typical 12-team PPR league. Ten starters, a QB, two running back, three wide out, one tight end, a flex, defense, kicker, and six bench with the expert consensus coming from fantasy pros and the ADP coming from our guys at Fantasy Football Calculator. As Neil mentioned, it is the NFC East. So, first we are kicking it off with them Cowboys. What is apparently my local team at this point. I mean, my hometown team? No, hometown is still No, the no, no, no. It's your local It's your local football concern. Yes. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys. So, first and foremost, they brought in Mike McCarthy, so he can go ahead and waste the best years of Dak like he did with Aaron Rodgers. Not, no, not at all bitter about any of that. No, not in any way. Not, not in any way, shape, or form. Although it's interesting because now will he be eating barbecue on the sidelines or cheese curds still? Can he get cheese curds still? Do you, what do you think they'll ship him? No, you can't get cheese curds here. But I mean, you can get like a mega gallon-sized tub of Diet Coke for like two dollars. So that's a feather in your cap. I, I feel like he can do that, no problem. Uh, They lost a few key pieces on defense, but they replaced them in the draft and signed veterans Gerald McCoy, Don Terry Poe, and HaHa Clinton Dix through free agency. Offensively, the retirement of Pro Bowl center Travis Frederick may be their biggest loss on either side of the ball. They did replace him with rookie Tyler Biazdi in the draft, but it may affect the offensive line play in general. That said, McCarthy kept the offense mostly intact by retaining offensive coordinator Kellen Moore after the Cowboys' offense averaged 27.1 points per game last season. They were hot. One could argue, Steve, that this is the smartest thing Mike McCarthy has ever done. I mean, it's a low bar. It is, but he's managed just to waddle directly over it. That's right. Well, maybe fall down and roll. That's probably more likely. Uh, While they did acquire Andy Why don't people like us on Twitter? I don't know. I can't. (laughs) Well, they did acquire Andy Dalton as an insurance policy to Dak. Their only real skill position change was replacing veteran Randall Cobb, our guy, with C.D. Lamb in the draft. So it should be all systems go for the Cowboys once again. So starting it off right there, QB room, Dak Prescott, your guy from last year. Go ahead, pat yourself on the back one more time. That's right. Bring it on home, baby. You all mocked. 
Everyone mocked. And by week six, nobody had a word to say. Nobody had a word to say to me once we got to week six. Funny how everybody just quieted down. And this year, look at yourselves. Look at yourself. QB4? Look at yourselves. Look at you now. Uh, the expert consensus is QB3 for Dak. Our website has him as three. I've got him four. You've got him four. ADP is four. So the disrespect to Deshaun continued. Pretty much. I mean, outside of that, there's not much there. I've made comments in passing to you that I think it's probably not worth a draft pick depending on your league. We're talking about a standard size league here where it's, you know, 16 man rosters. So you don't have a huge bench. You don't want to be wasting those late round picks. So in that scenario, obviously not. But if you're talking about a deep league, 22, 23, 24 man rosters, especially in this crazy year, grabbing Andy Dalton makes a lot of sense to me because I still feel that if Dak goes down, Andy Dalton could legitimately be in the starter conversation on a week in, week out basis with these weapons we're about to talk about. Oh, absolutely. And it's funny to say that because we're so used to at this point watching Andy Dalton just frankly underperform and kind of be bad at football at this point in his career. But I don't see how given the, the we're not talking about the the old bangle <laughs> roster. Right. And we're not talking about that. Even on the bangles, Andy Dalton was a borderline top 12 play every week. So it's hard for me to imagine that coming into this system with these weapons that he would be anything other than the same top 12 to top 10 consideration. So just obviously just keep it in the back of your head that Andy okay. Dalton is still there. And we'll clarify what we're saying. He's not going to be Dak, folks. He's not going to be Dak. No, but no, if no, no. Dak went down, he's not going to crash the car. Okay. He's not going to derail all your other things. And he himself might have some value because they're going to be so high powered yet again that there, even if he threw a ton of interceptions, not only that, typically in these situations when the starting quarterback goes down, all of a sudden someone will panic sell a skill position guy because the drop off is so huge to go from the starter to the backup. And I don't think that that's necessarily the case here. Yeah, in that case, it's probably in, in this case, it's probably not warranted to do that. You're going to want to stand pat. Uh, running backs, Ezekiel Elliott. RB3 in the consensus, three for our site, four for me, and four for you. The difference there is Alvin Kamara. That is, it's, we both have Kamara at three, I'm guessing, for you as well, correct? Uh, yes. Alvin yes. Kamara is at three. three. And then we have Zeke at four. They have it flip-flopped on our site and in expert consensus. And then everybody agrees on the top two and number five. ADP has him at RB7, Neil. What is going on here? What is what is the hate on Zeke all of a sudden? Oh, the disrespect oh. is real. People forget about last year, the whole the whole idea that Zeke is the straw that stirs the drink. He's the reason that they're able to do all those offensive passing things that everybody is so keen to want to value so highly, especially pushing Dak all the way up to four, which at that point I'd argue he has to hit it to return. It's not a great investment necessarily. It's what we talked about before when he's that when he's going that high right. but no the real reason is because the hype train on on ceh has just gone off the track down the gully and into the ravine in such a in such a way that he has now leapfrogged zeke in in the adp and that to me is an egregious misstep the disrespect well, yeah, we agree on that and we'll talk about that at another time but the yes, biggest the wrap-up show here, 
to me is we talked about the hate and the disrespect and how people were totally out on Derrick Henry. And now somehow Derrick Henry has creeped ahead of Zeke in ADP. Yes. So I, I don't understand why the change all of a sudden. I don't understand. I don't understand any of it. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I, I'm, I'm good with our ranking as a top five overall player. We're nitpicking at three spots, but it still feels wrong. We are. And it, it, it's, it's just the idea of what you would be taking in replacement. It's a month ago, everyone was trying to say, oh, Derrick Henry, curse of 300, da, 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 da. Can't possibly re- you know, do that again. No way. Get out of here. And to suddenly just turn around on that and say, no, he'll outperform Zeke, which doesn't seem to be logically connected to anything. It's just the way that the rooms seem to be shifting. It's not, it's not logical. And I think if you end up making some of those moves, you're going to wind up being, you're going to be kicking yourself at the end of the year if you passed on Zeke for CEH or Henry. Particularly His backup is uh, Tony Pollard, who last year was, he got a lot of hype. And we talked about the idea that Pollard in the offseason, remember January? Ah, oh, simpler times. Two lifetimes ago, but yes. We talked about the idea that Tony Pollard could be seeing a lot more action in the slot this year. And with Randall Cobb leaving, maybe Tony Pollard would step up and have more pass catching opportunities in the slot. So he could be a borderline top 30 guy, even with Zeke as a top five guy. Not so much for that. Uh, but still, Tony Pollard, if I own Zeke, is someone I absolutely want to own because I think, again, I wouldn't say he's going to get top five, but given the workload and what we saw from him last year, if Tony Pollard's given the job, I could definitely see top 10. Oh, absolutely. Given the volume that we expect Zeke to enjoy, uh, 100%. Because the Cowboys, as we always point out every year, the Cowboys have to run the ball in order to make the whole offense work. If If you allow you know, the eight man boxes to stop, suddenly the wheels are going to come off the wagon. So even if it's Tony Pollard, they are still going to be running the ball. So even though you won't get the, quite the, the dazzling eye popping things that Zeke does for you, Tony Pollard will be borderline top 10. And I would say certainly top 12. hundred percent agree. We all have them ranked somewhere in like the mid to upper forties going at RB 50. The best way you can think about it is go back, listen to our show last week about the NFC North. Uh, you know, while you're there, give it a five-star review. But otherwise, while you're there, listen to the Alexander Madison section and think of Tony Pollard as a discounted Alexander Madison because that's basically the exact same thing we're looking at right here. Wide receiver room. Amari Cooper, wide receiver 13 in the expert consensus and on our site and in my ranks. 15 for you, 14 for the public. There are some people on our website who believe that Amari Cooper is being overdrafted at that. Are you in that mindset, Neil? Your rankings don't reflect it. Not to the extent that what the folks on our site are saying in terms of that. I do believe that he's going slightly overdrafted, given my ranking of him. Uh, But that also speaks to how I feel about Michael Gallup's involvement in the offense, and we'll get there in a moment. But no, I don't think he's being egregiously overdrafted, but I think think there's a slight inflation on it. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it's... Mo- mostly Jack and Aiden, right? Let's call him. <laughs> yes, that. I think let's just Jack and Aiden. Uh, but I think to Jack's point is he was getting closer and closer between Gallup and Amari Cooper because of the uh, the the shadowing and because of the number one coverage from Cooper and the inconsistency that we talked about for years before he got to Dallas. Mm-hmm. And now that he's in Dallas, that all kind of just went away, and he's just a borderline top twelve guy. Amari Cooper talented individual no doubt about it but there are a lot of mouths to feed and we will start with Gallup that we kind of briefly mentioned 
again, kind of all in line. Wide receiver 33 in both the expert consensus and on our site. 40 for me, 35 for you, and 33 for the ADP. So going right at expert consensus in the ADP, but slightly ahead of you and a good chunk ahead of me. Yeah, and that's actually, that, that, that was one of the more interesting things when we were putting this together, was the idea that he's actually going ahead of where I even have, and I feel like I'm pretty f- being pretty fair to Michael Gallup here. It's just, this speaks to something I was, I was going to mention off the top, but we'll do it here. The entire Cowboys skill position core, even if you have Dak at four, given how the rankings appear to be working and where the ADPs, more importantly, are falling, people are overpaying for the Cowboys at this point. They're, they're, they're getting into the idea that it's a, some sort of guarantee that they're going to not only repeat the performance from last year, but also expand upon it. That's what would need to be happening here for a lot of these guys to be returning value if you took all of them kind of in a vacuum because of especially who we'll talk about in a moment. And the tight end. Every, every single piece on here, except for Zeke, weirdly, is seeing inflation, whereas he's actually seeing his stock dip. And as we talked about before, I wish I had some sort of logical reason that I could present to you, America, as to why that is happening. But there doesn't appear to be one. It's, they, they seem to think that they're going to go even more pass-happy than they were last year and be more ineffective running the football. And I suppose that could be down to the line. But I don't know that there's any real meat to that. That seems to be narrative-driven. Yeah, actually, any science behind it, or yeah. if they're just throwing that out there for the sake of throwing it out there. And so I thought I was being very fair with Michael Gallup at 35 because that's where I think he, not only you could get him and you'd feel good about it because there might be a little bit of meat on the bone to go even to 33. You're getting into paying like the full sticker price for what I think you could potentially get out of Michael Gallup. Jack may disagree with me. And and that's totally fine. But I, I don't see the point in paying 13 for Amari Cooper, 30, 30 or 14 for Amari Cooper, 33 for Michael Gallup, and then 40 for CeeDee Lamb. At that point, you're telling me that, like I said, you're going to have to be building in improvement upon the performance they put up last year, which was their best statistical season in years. It it's hard to it's hard to be that optimistic for me. Because there's no science. No, I, to it. I, I totally agree. And for Michael Gallup, remember, again, simpler times. Before the draft, Michael Gallup was being hyped up as a potential top 20 guy that he could he be a getting, breakout. He was getting he the could, Calvin Ridley treatment. He was getting the Calvin Ridley treatment for sure. Perhaps Amari Cooper in terms of targets, production, um, and be somebody that you're definitely going to want to target in that, uh, that 20 to 25 range. In PPR drafts, the unfortunate reality is CD lamb 17th pick of the NFL draft expert consensus, 45, 43 on our site, 47 for me and 47 for you, 40 in ADP. Again, he comes in. Jack talked about this when we had our rookie show from the draft recap back in May. Go back and listen if you didn't hear that. But again, he talked about the idea that C.D. Lamb is great on the outside. Michael Gallup is much better in the slot than anything else. So he's going to try transition to take over that Randall Cobb role, primarily get the slot work, and C.D. Lamb will work on the outside, which would mean, again, Gallup is going to see volume, and he's going to see some opportunities in the slot, but he's not going to get those big plays that he was getting last year. For me, I feel like that ticks him down a little bit, which is why I have him at 40. I have Lamb at 47 because there's a ton of upside there. 
but the sticker price right now is 40 and I don't think I'm going to be able to own them in any leagues. No. And I don't think I will either given that. And especially with the completely canceled off season, all of the rookies uh, had to come down. You and I have talked about this on previous shows. We talked about it in the pre-show meeting, a lot of the expectations for a lot of these guys that are high profile rookies that are coming in, you've, you're going to have to ratchet them down a little bit. There's no other way around it <clears throat> because there's, with no offseason, I don't really care how good the prospect is. Getting integrated into an NFL offense takes time. It takes reps. And the quarterback has to get comfortable with you. So it's it's going to be a tall ask even for somebody as talented as – we all know how talented CeeDee Lamb is from his, from his college career. He's a blue-chip wide receiver prospect, and even he is going to have to kind of wait a little bit to get fully integrated, I think. So do I think he'll start the season as a starter? Absolutely. Do I think they're going to be running their offense through him? especially at the beginning of the season? Absolutely not, given the other weapons that the Cowboys have that they can leverage, which is why I actually moved Michael Gallup up a little bit in my last update, because he's already been there. He knows the system, and they know what they're going to get out of him. So I think he's going to be more involved than he otherwise would have been, potentially, given a full offseason. Yep, agree. Got to push those rookies down a little bit. Uh, tight end, Jason Witten is now gone, so it is the Blake Jarwin show. 19 in the expert consensus, 21 on the site. 22 for me, 24 for you, and 20 in ADP. If this was Jason Draven running the sh show with uh, start sits here, Blake Jordan would probably be like top five, somewhere in there, based, on, that neighborhood. based yeah. on his chat this entire offseason. That, that would be my guess. Uh, and then the Cowboys defense, not good, as no. I mentioned. No, they are That's not. This. Is there any note you want to make on the uh, the tight ends there before we move on? Just that the same thing applies to Blake Jarwin is what we talked about for all the pass catchers. He himself is being drafted at 20, which is the full sticker price as far as I'm concerned. There is no, he he has to produce even at tight end 20 for you to, Grant. I get it, it's a 14th round pick and he'd be your backup tight end. Still too expensive. There are other guys down in that neighborhood in the in the 20s that you could have in that range that I feel much more confident in given what we've seen of Blake Jarwin and the drops and the inconsistency, the inconsistent play. And you can chalk it up to Witten leaving if you want, but for me, it's not as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, and again, to your point though, it was, it's a 14th round pick. It's less egregious for me because at that point it's, all it is, it is certainly less egregious, but it just speaks to the general point that I've been making, which is the, the yes. people are way overpaying for Cowboys. And how about, Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Now, what we will talk about here momentarily is a team where you, the values abound, Steve. The values are just low-hanging fruit coming up. The here values are all over the place, and we are going to get to that right after the break. Support for the Important Nonsense podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Hey guys, it's Steve. It's summertime. The temperature is turning up out there, and you know when the heat is turned up, your undercarriage needs to be cleaned up. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. Now when I tell you this is premium, I mean it is premium. 
The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. Take your time. You don't want any accidents down there. And the water-resistant technology allows you to even groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates your grooming area for a closer, more precise trim. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Let's not forget about the charging stand, people. You want to show off that mower loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. Look, if you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience this firsthand for yourself. Just head over to manscaped.com and use promo code NONSENSE. That's N-O-N-S-E-N-S-E. You'll get 20% off plus free shipping. One more time, that code is NONSENSE at manscaped.com to get your 20% off and free shipping today. All right, we're back, Neil, and it is the New York football giants, as Chris Berman would say. Uh, The Giants hired Joe Judge this offseason to helm the ship in New York after being the special teams coach in New England for the last eight years. This was a bad defense in 2019, and they only made minor changes So that's probably going to be about the same. I would still continue to target the Giants if you see them on the schedule. Offensively, Judge brought in former Cowboys coach Jason Garrett, the clapper himself. 100%. Coming in to guide this young offensive unit. Two of their first three picks in the draft were spent on O-tackles to protect the franchise QB and give some Saquads better lanes. If this line can gel, though, they should definitely take a step forward, at least from an efficiency standpoint, in the new year. So here he is, Daniel Jones. Every year, Neil, there's at least one guy that we go through all of our projections and we go through all of our rankings that I just plant my flag and say, this is my guy. This is the hill that I am willing to die on. And this year, that guy is Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones going 14 in the expert consensus, 11 on our site, 15 in ADP in the 11th round, 8 for you, and QB 6 for me. He is my guy. So what do you got on Daniel Jones? He is your guy. And you know what's funny is last year, my guy, was we always do the same thing in his loyal yeah. listeners of this show. No, we do these we do these independently and then we get together for the ranking summit now and then we kind of coalesce the findings and that's how we get the staff projections. That's how this actually works in the background. Not to take people too far behind the curtain. But from my end this year... Wow, show them how we I, make the sausage, why don't you? Well, it's not pretty. You, you and I do this every year and I usually write, just about every year, I write a value-based quarterback drafting for QB par- for parents for people. And last year, my guy was Dak Prescott and I hit I hit money. And this year, you and I agree, we never get to the same conclusion, folks. Never get to the same conclusion on which value quarterback we're trying to target. And this year we did. And it's because the markers are too strong. Danny Dimes, coming back in year two, full off season. The reason why his numbers don't look as consistent as they might be last year, beyond the fact that everybody on the Giants was hurt and that he was a rookie, he got tossed in halfway through the season, all those normal things apply. Well, he was getting sacked at an unbelievable rate and turning the ball over at a, in terms of fumbles in a way that was actually really depressing. His One of the other benefits, besides trying to make the, the running lanes for Saquads just a little bit better, 
they had to do something to get Daniel Jones some actual protection. They they were they realized we are going to get this young man killed. He is he is he's running for his life out there, and he's looking like a deer in the headlights because they're just bull rushing him on every play because our line can't stop anybody. You went out if this line can gel, that's going to do all the all the positive things for Daniel Jones. So for me, Daniel Jones is QB eight, and you can have him. He's my value quarterback of the year. He's my guy. He's my going outside the top ten that in all likelihood can and should finish in the top 10 quarterback for this year. It's Danny Dimes. Because I think he's going to clean up those fumbles and they're going to, with all of their skill position players returning, you know, theoretically, obviously at this point, plus the emergence of Darius Slayton, his efficiency is going to be significantly better if you can just cut down on those fumbles. So just based on, based on that and based on him getting better as a player, better weapons. Going at 15, I think you can have him, I think you should have him at eight. And I think, you can easily get him at 10 based on what we're seeing ADP-wise. Lock it, put it in the bank. Solid return on that investment. Yeah, to your point, last year was a weird year. Uh, remember, Golden Tate was out, suspended the first four games of the year, and then battling injuries. Evan Ingram's always battling injuries. Sterling Shepard had the concussion injury. He got cleared and then was right back on right to the back list. Right back in it, uh, so, I mean, he was battling injuries. Darius Slayton was the only consistent guy. Even Saquon was hurt. And I pointed this out to you in the offseason. And from that point on, I was basically sold. Last year, uh, Daniel Jones, who got hurt himself, mind you, at one point, missed two games. But he got better and better and better as the... He started out strong, but he got better as the year went on, Right. Daniel Jones, when Saquon Barkley returned from his injury in week seven, from that point on, weeks seven through 17, on a per-game basis, minimum, minimum of eight games played. So there were a couple guys in there, Jeff Driscoll and Matthew Stafford, who only played three games that would have technically finished above him. But a minimum of eight games played, so a large sample size in that 10-game stretch Daniel Jones in fantasy scoring was QB seven. He was putting up 19.94 points per game. He was absolutely crushing it the second half of last year. And nobody talks about it because Saquon emerged and had the big second half after he came back from the injury. And then Daniel Dimes was looking a little bit inconsistent, right? He, he was looking a little shaky there for a little while, and he got the injury. But then when he came back, readjusted, he blew up for those last couple of games. So, he again, a little, a little inconsistent. I will certainly give you that. But when you're looking at these markers, when you're looking at taking the step from year one to year two, the, the new offense doesn't scare me. He was a rookie last year, so obviously it was a new offense for him last year. Last season. In terms of passing plays, they had 678 dropbacks. And for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, or, or maybe we, you know, didn't, you didn't hear the first episode when we were talking about these. When we do our projections, when I go through and put this data in, I'm looking at actual planned passing plays, the designed passing plays. So that is anything that is started as a pass and turned into a scramble, or was a drop back where he was either sacked or threw the ball away or threw the ball in some capacity. So last year, 678 designed pass plays was eighth in the league. 
We've upped that this year to 696, and that's mainly because the defense got worse, and then you look at Washington, who we feel like got a little bit better. Uh, the Eagles got more consistent and better, and then the Cowboys added weapons and got better. So the defense or the division got harder to play in. Their schedule works out that it's going to be slightly harder this year. They're going to be relying on Daniel Jones to throw the ball more, and that's not to say that they won't run the ball. Last season, they had 323 designed rush plays. We upped that to 340, and again, the idea of that being that Saquon was hurt. So they didn't throw they didn't run the ball that much at the beginning of the year with because you had Wayne Gallman back there. No offense to Wayne Gallman, but I mean, shockingly shock- still on the team. Shockingly, for now. But Daniel <laughs> Jones, Yeah. Uh, Daniel Jones in our projection comes in at 660 dropbacks, 38 scrambles. I mentioned the statistic earlier in the offseason from TJ Hernandez, where the the kind of breaking point is any uh, quarterback in the last two years has had at least 50 rush attempts under their belt. Dak, believe it or not, does not scramble as much as Daniel Jones. Dak hit that threshold, but he was the bottom end of it. Last year, he had just over 50 rush attempts, and now you have Jason Garrett, who was just working for Dak, doing everything that Dak did. Remember, last year, Dak was going basically in the same ADP in the same projection, in the same area of the expert consensus that Dak is currently going. Now you bring in Jason Garrett, who was Dak's coach last season, to work with Daniel Jones on his fumbles. And just imagine if you take the fumbles out of his game when he was already QB7. So now he's been working on the fumbles all offseason, and you have Daniel Jones who scrambles the ball higher at a higher percentage than Dak, throws the ball more accurately than Dak does, I have him projected for over 4,000 yards, projected even still for six fumbles, but 26 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. If he gets a little bit more efficient on those numbers, with 38 scrambles and three rushing touchdowns, Daniel Jones projects as our QB nine. I'm saying he takes another step forward and can get himself right. And if he gets that line helping him out with those new O tackles we mentioned Daniel Jones could be a guy that leaps into the top six as I have him ranked. And again, the other guys that I have in the top 10 are all the old vets like Brady, Matt Ryan, uh, even Carson Wentz at this point in his career, who are guys that I feel okay about, but I don't think can actually reach the levels that Daniel Jones can get me to. So the fact that I can get him so late in drafts is just so great for me. I feel like he has a great opportunity. Again, to my point, everybody's out here looking for the next Mahomes. Everybody's out here looking for the next Lamar Jackson. I don't care about that. I don't want the next Lamar Jackson or the next Mahomes. I'm looking for the next Dak. Exactly. I don't know who's going to be the guy who jumps up into that top five, not the one, because trying to pinpoint who's going to be the next one, you're going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to take a dart throw that's going to kill you. What I want is the guy who's going to consistently give me the production and be the next Dak, and I think that can easily be Daniel Jones. Oh, absolutely. I'm 100% in agreement with you on that. And I'm also, to add on to that, what I'm looking for beyond that, beyond the next Dak, because that's also how I evaluate quarterback. Every year I talk about you don't want to overpay for quarterback because you really want to spend the first meaningful part of your draft because quarterback is so deep and there's so much value to be had. You really want to spend your time amassing a really solid 
you know, you know, stable of skill position guys, wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback. Don't go like zero quarterback and totally, you know, miss the boat entirely. But with an ADP in the 11th round, Daniel Jones is exactly where I'm trying to target a quarterback. And if that's, if that's the reality that we're going to live in, then that's, then that's going to have to, that's going to be the guy because not only does he have that upside where he could, I think he'll easily get into the top 10. He's got the upside on, on that to where he could, to your point, he could get to five. He could get to he could get to six, and at that point, you're getting crazy return on something that you ended up picking up in the eleventh round when people are sitting there picking up handcuffs, and and they're looking at their team like they're they're evaluating their team in that direction. Don't follow that. Don't follow that analysis. Wait on quarterback. Get something that has a lot of upside on it, and don't try and you know spend your efforts figuring out who the next Lamar is, because to your point, you'll never will. And you'll drive yourself insane when it's yeah. much easier to you just figure out as well. Yeah. That's don't. Yes. With Tyler. Remember? Oh, when you, Tyler okay. You beat me to it. You beat me to it. Hold on real quick on that. Cause I was just going to go there. Would it shock you America to know that Daniel Jones on less game played through more touchdowns than Kyler Murray? Would it shock you to know that? Cause it was four more. That's a real thing folks. And people want to take Kyler Murray as high as six. To the point where there's no upside left on it. No, no, no. Don't don't fall for that. That's an obvious, obvious trap that you can avoid here. Don't do that. That's now you're back into overpaying. You you've gone right in this giant cul-de-sac when you've got a guy who is more not more efficient, but threw more touchdowns on less games played, guys, with no meaningful skill position players left available to him for the majority of the time that he was doing it. That's it's mind-boggling to me that people want to go that high on Kyler. Anyway. Yeah, again, to your point, the problem is that people get into this group think. They get into the idea that you have to find the next Mahomes. You have to find the next Lamar Jackson. And as I said, the, the issue is that they were so intent on finding the next Lamar or the next Mahomes that they hyped up Kyler Murray to the point where Kyler Murray is now going ADP quarterback three. Oh yeah, that's we will talk to Kyler Murray or about Kyler Murray in a couple of weeks. And again, do I? It's not that I hate Kyler Murray. Even I was one of the biggest Kyler Murray supporters. The problem is that now it is the hype has gone completely out of control. If Daniel Jones was going at ADP six right now, I would have some trepidation. I would be real nervous about trusting that. But the fact of the matter is that right now he's going in the 11th round outside of the top 10. And, and he's a guy that I feel like can give you an extreme return on investment. And we talked about this as well. Uh, Daniel Jones, one of the guys that we were able to, to snag and put on our Scott Fishbowl this year. So we're except, first of all, shout out to Scott. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Scott, 100%. But you look at quarterbacks who had a minimum of 200 passing yards and 20 rush yards in games last year. You had Russell Wilson, Deshaun were near the top of the list. Uh, Lamar Jackson with nine. You had Lamar Jackson with eight. Uh, I think Pat Mahomes had like seven. And then That's you had great. Kyler Murray with six who played the entire season and both Gardner Minshew and Daniel Jones had six in just 12 starts. Because remember, Daniel Jones played 13 games last year, but he came in in relief for Eli Manning 
at the beginning of the season in one of those games. So we only had 12 actual starts. And in half of those starts, he had at least 20 yards rushing and 200 yards passing. So he is the definition of a dual threat quarterback in the modern NFL. He absolutely fits the bill of someone that can jump into that top six for literally a fraction of the price that you would have to pay for the hype train that is Kyler Murray. I think we've covered it right there, folks. That's the uh, that's it. The important it. nonsense quarterback okay. flag guy for 2020, Danny Dimes, Mr. Daniel Jones. The only other note I want to make here about the quarterback room, uh, Colt McCoy is currently listed as the backup, came over, of course, uh, from Washington after a few years there. They run a very similar system to what they ran in Dallas, but more importantly, Cooper Rush. He was the backup quarterback to Dak the last couple of seasons. Of course, you have the connection with Jason Garrett. So again, I'm all in on Daniel Jones. I'm very curious to see uh, if it's Cooper Rush or Colt McCoy. I have a feeling it'll end up being Cooper Rush, but we will see who emerges as the backup. And if they do, then it's obviously something that you want to stash or at least keep in mind when we get into this, again, crazy season, when you want to have depth at basically every position. If NFL teams are carrying four quarterbacks in a lot of, in three and four quarterbacks, it's going to require a fantasy football drafting strategy adjustment, folks. Uh, running back is kind of straightforward, is it not? I mean, it's, no, it's super easy. It's two literally across the board. There's and nothing. Rightfully, rightfully so. There's no one you'd put ahead of him outside of McCaffrey, and he's the only guy anybody does. So that's move on. Uh, Dion Lewis is now the the backup. He went from went from Derrick Henry's backup to Saquon Barkley's backup. You almost feel bad for him until you see the paycheck he's cashing, and then you don't right, feel. And then I don't feel bad anymore. <laughs> even then, we saw last year Wayne Gallman had spurts during that stretch where Saquon was hurt that he had some kind of fantasy value. But even then, it was kind of hit or miss for those four games. When Saquon came back, it was his show. Even though he was not right, they they rushed him back, and he just he didn't look great to begin with. But he finished the year strong. What I'm saying here is, there's no part of Deion Lewis that I want. Not a yeah. single part of it. Nope. Even even in a Saquon injury situation, he's rosterable as potentially a flex consideration. But we're, it's not a Tony Pollard or an Alexander Madison where it's a slam dunk that they're going to have immediate value. No, I think there would be some sort of car wash that existed if Saquon went down at this point where Gallman was on the field periodically. Maybe it's Elijah Penny. Deion Lewis comes in on like third down and passing downs, and he occasionally gets a run. But I think that's what it would be. It would turn into a committee very quickly there, and I don't know that any of them would even be super helpful. Deion Lewis would be the waiver wire pickup in that sense. You know what I mean? If we got to that point... That would be the one people would go and get, but there, there you go. There's not a whole lot, and I don't know that any of them individually would be like, I don't know that you'd be on the waiver wire like, ooh, got to do that. Got to get that Elijah Penny. Move <laughs> on to this weird hate for the wide receivers in New York. So you have Sterling Shepard, who is going to be listed as the number one on the depth chart. Golden Tate is technically going to be the number two as the slot guy. And then Darius Slayton, on the outside, the second-year player. So expert consensus, Shepard is wide receiver 40, with Slayton at 44 and Golden Tate at 48. On our site, Sterling Shepard, 39 for the site, 37 for me, 38 for you. We're all kind of in line there. 
Uh, Golden Tate, 41 for our site, 39 for me, 40 for you. Darius Slayton, 37 on our website, 31 for me, and 30 for you. You and I both love Darius Slayton and the potential upside there. So on all three guys, we are either slightly or even more ahead of expert consensus by almost a full half round in a lot of cases here is we are a good chunk ahead on expert consensus. And in in the case of Slayton, like I'm at 72 overall. So for expert consensus, that's 30 full picks. Yeah. And I'm at at 67. So yeah, I'm, and I, and I stand by that for reasons that we'll get into here in a second. But the ADP is Sterling Shepard going at wide receiver 51 (laughs) in basically the 12th. Golden Tate in the 13th round at wide receiver 58 and Darius Slayton at wide receiver 41. Again, going back to our fishbowl roster, we were able to stack Daniel Jones with Darius Slayton because nobody wanted him. And I don't know why. And I feel great about it. Oh, I absolutely love it. It's, it's one of the most egregious steals in the draft. Also Randall Cobb way too late, which was a, a glass clink moment. Like, ah, <laughs> perfection, but it's, uh, <laughs> It's maddening what's going on here. So this is the antithesis of what we were just talking about with the Cowboys. People are out on Daniel Jones as we just went through. He's getting drafted at QB 15. And we just went at length about why both of us feel that that is a mistake. And that not enough, but that's okay. Not well, we don't have we only have limited time, as we know. We only have an hour and an hour hour and a half here, folks. We could do that for three hours. Uh, The. The issue here is that because they're down on that, I think they're just down on them in general. They're down on everything that isn't sacred. They're just pushing everything down and they're willing to overpay, for example, for a lot of these names on the Cowboys because, you know, the Cowboys are going to be a quote unquote good team. And, you know, if you go, if you go nine and seven and win the East, you're really a good team. I don't know. That's not, let's not totally derail. But the, <laughs> the issue here is that I think that's the problem. They're not, they're not looking at it through our perspective. Of no, no, you're wrong. Daniel Jones is is a certainty functionally to get in the top ten. And if you're going to project him in that manner, it would have to logically follow for us that all the skill position players have to move up. And I sort of understand why the industry would look at Sterling Shepard one way because I think the industry views Sterling Shepard and we do too as a pretty solid football player when he's right. Like you know, he's he's had horrible quarterback play and he's still managed to put up seven eight hundred yards. On, on seasons where he always has a shortened schedule because he's always getting concussed, unfortunately, which is very sad. And I, but I think that's why the public is out. It's, it's, a, it's a coupling of those factors. They, they look at Sterling Shepard at this point and they're, and they're just saying, nope, toast, don't want any part of it. And what I'm telling you is, yeah, washed, concussion risk. And I can't downplay the concussion risk all the way. That's why he's at 38 and not at you know five spots higher. But what I, what I would tell you is my thought process is, look, even with the concussion risk baked in, you don't have Golden Tate, for example, missing four games of the season. You're going to have a healthy Saquon from the start of the year. This is year two of Darius Slayton. People want to try and make the argument to me on Twitter. Oh, he's just a burner. He's one note. All he knows how to do is be a burner. And I'm like, are you watching John Ross footage? At your house? Did you get the tapes mixed up at your home? Like, what? what are you watching? He's really fast, but that doesn't mean he's one note. Like he just he, they have him running down the field for a reason, but I've seen him make plenty of moves. He's raw. We all acknowledge that and there's there's a regression risk there. But we saw I think it's undeniable that we saw the chemistry 
developing between Danny Dimes and Darius Slayton. So for me, I yeah. think this is it gets into a whole narrative argument, right? Right. The big thing here, uh, going back to our projections, last year, even with the rotation, wide receivers had 59.5% of the target share for the Giants. Now, I shifted that slightly, giving 3% of their target share roughly to the running backs because Saquon being back involved and getting the checkdowns. And when we did our target distribution for the wide receivers, 99 for Shepard, 106 for Golden Tate, 104 for Darius Slayton. Because do you really think Benjamin Victor is a factor? Do you really think that Corey Coleman is a factor? Think hard oh, before you answer the Corey Coleman one. Because that that's not... Th- please stop. Please stop. The, Can we be done? I don't want to... All these targets for, for Daniel Jones, that he's going to throw the ball somewhere. They have to go somewhere, and we'll get to Evan Ingram and that insanity. But even then, <laughs> we split the targets right? So splitting the targets effectively splits the receptions. Sterling Shepard, six touchdowns, Golden Tate, four, Darius Slayton, five. And just by a factor of Darius Slayton having a higher average depth of target in his career and from last year, that he comes out with more yardage and because of that projects higher. Splitting the workload between the three guys Put Slayton projected at wide receiver 30, Golden Tate at 39, and Shepard at 37. Splitting the workload. If your argument is that there's too many guys, that's with them basically having an even split. If Darius Slayton emerges as the wide receiver one and gets 130 targets, he's a top 20 wide receiver this season. Say it louder, people in the back emerges as the number one receiver on this team because Darius Slayton is just the burner and you're right. Then Sterling Shepard is going to be the guy who gets the consistent outside targets would be up over 120 and would be a top 25 wide receiver. Golden Tate, if he just gets check down volume underneath would be up over 120 targets and would be near a top 30 to top 20 wide receiver this season. The idea that this offense can't support anyone in the top 40. What is happening right now? Uh, that the hate has gone so entirely too far on this, that now the values abound. Like we said in the, before the break, there's, there's just two, not, not all of those things can be true. It's not mathematically possible. Even given, if you want to try and talk about Evan Ingram in a moment, given what we've seen from all of them, right? I would say Sterling Shepard's injury history scares me the most, and Golden Tate's age scares me the most. Darius Slayton is nothing but upside, and he has the best connection with Daniel Jones because they came in the same draft. They work out together. They were rooming together last year when you could actually room together for training camp. So, I mean, the connection between the two of them is undeniable, and you saw it last year play out on the field. Even if you feel like Darius Slayton in production takes a step back this year, which he won't, but even if you think he will, the amount of volume that he's going to get makes him valuable enough to easily outkick his wide receiver 41 ADP right now and his wide receiver 44 in the expert consensus. It's just completely illogical. Well, it's also the idea that you're making the supposition that he won't get any better at anything in the offseason. That he'll, he'll not only will he not make any improvements, that he'll step back, which is illogical. 
given everything that we've laid out about just the connection that he's going to have. I get that the truncated offseason might hurt a guy like Slayton. You know, he's only had one year in the league. I understand that. But even at that point, you're going to sit here with a straight face and try and make the argument that that Darius Slayton can literally only run go routes. When we know from watching last year that that is simply not true. He At, le- at a minimum, he can run some slants and some comeback routes. We saw him do it many times. Granted, it was against the Eagles' terrible defense. But the same logic is going to hold here. There's no way that he's that one note that he could possibly not make any improvements and, in well, fact, go backwards. It doesn't make any sense. Just for S's and G's here, Neil, uh, I, I went in here to our projections. As I said, Darius Slayton projected wide receiver 30 with five touchdowns. Even if you projected him for zero, if he doesn't reach the end zone at all, he would project at wide receiver 44. And he's going wide receiver 41 in the ADP. So you're saying at that point that he literally doesn't catch a single touchdown all season long. And oh, by the way, this is a projection for 15 games played. So I I don't understand what argument you could possibly make to me about Darius Slayton that he would be anywhere near his current ADP or rank in any expert consensus. Makes no sense. Speaking of making no sense, (laughs) Evan Ingram, because we don't learn, Neil. No one learns fetch happen it's not going to happen it's just never going to happen one good season with a connection to eli manning and all and he's just the hype train every year out of control tight end six in the expert consensus tight end seven on our site six with you seven and adp i've got him tight end 10 and that's assume i mean that's on a points per game basis i'm saying tight end for those look tight end 10 overall that's probably pretty decent for the five games that he plays, he's going to be right up there in the near t- tight end top five. I mean, he'll be real close. So but points, total points at the end of the year, could he finish top 10? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this was the biggest, one of the biggest arguments we had during the projections was how many games. Fantastic. One of the biggest arguments we had during the projection meetings was how many games do we actually project Evan Ingram for? How can you actually sit there and project him for? 14 games at this point in his career. And we literally got into a pitched argument about people saying, no, just do it at 10. <laughs> just put him in at 10 games. That's fine. Final, like that's- final was 13 is where we landed. Yep. 13 projected games and 94 targets. So you could theoretically make the argument that if he's going to get 94 targets in 13 games and you just project that out, through a full season, well, that hurts the wide receivers because it's got to come through somewhere. And you're not entirely wrong, but the whole, the whole crutch of your argument is that Evan Ingram's going to play a whole year. <laughs> so, I mean, I, if you want to bet on that, you go right ahead. You enjoy. You put your money on that. I certainly will not. No, that is the that that is the Giants in a nutshell, though. That is that is the Giants in a nutshell. It's- um, the fact that you have the top three, right? The big three, even if we'll, we'll the guy we'll talk about uh, in a little bit here, Ertz, if you want to make it a big four at tight end with Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, and possibly Ertz, maybe. From five to 15 in our projections, it's pretty much a coin flip. It, it's bouncing around 
wherever you can, I mean, like I said, based on one or two touchdowns here or there, you're going to have any number of these guys finish in the top five. It's just a matter of who can get in the end zone more. So you can certainly make the argument that, that Evan Ingram fits into that role. But again, got to get that Jersey Neil Janu Smith. If you, if you're going to not take one of those top four or five guys, Janu Smith, I can have for literally nothing. Why do I want to pay six rounds more for Evan Ingram when I could have Janu Smith for free? It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially too. That's that's just one example. I mean, cut to Ian Thomas, like you know, things like things of that nature, where you're talking about other guys that you can have. If you don't like Janu Smith, fine. You think we're idiots? You don't like that that we're on the Janu Smith train? Fine. There's, I could sit here and list off four other guys. We'll find you something at a value that you'll be happy with, and you'll and by the end of the year, you'll be sending an email to important nonsense saying, "Hey, thanks for talking me out of Evan Ingram on draft day." <laughs> yeah. XOXO, Janu Smith. All right, let's move on. Philadelphia, born and raised. The Eagles upgraded their secondary, adding Nicole Roby Coleman and trading for Darius Slay while drafting a young safety to rotate on the back end. We're going to avoid this safety in matchups this year, unlike last year when the wide receivers, remember, is fire it up against the Eagles. Ooh, take advantage of that matchup. Yeah, they could Not get to call Offensively, they lost Jordan Howard, and I put quotes around lost, so lost, and we mentioned that already, with no replacement in place. So again, we will we'll talk about crazy hype trains here in a second. Uh, they spent their first pick of the draft on wide receiver Jalen Rager, later picks on John Hightower and Quez Watkins to build depth at their weakest position. They also shocked a lot of people when they took Jalen Hurts to back up Carson Wentz. And unfortunately, Neil, we know that the backup to Carson Wentz always seems to have some kind of fantasy value. So Carson Wentz, QB9 in the ECR, 10 on our site, 11 for me, 11 for you, 12 in ADP. That's about right. I don't That's think that's about, about right. Yeah, projected for 10 in our projections, so... I think that's pretty much status quo. It's He's going in the ninth round. If you wait on QB, you're going to end up with somebody of his ilk. But I, I would much rather, again, as we talked about at nauseum, get some Daniel Jones in your life. I'd much rather do that because of the upside. I think he'll, he'll probably go in that range and he'll finish in this range. But that's about it. Jalen Hurts, a lot of comparisons to Taysom Hill. He, he's got the, the skill set that they could involve him in the games outside of just playing quarterback, he could get moved in in like a wildcat type situation, get cute with it. Again, in a different offseason, I'd buy that. But given this year, I would say no. That's probably not going to be the case. Um, even if it was for fantasy purposes, much like Taysom Hill, not worth your time. If you could list him at tight end, I'd be more interested. Again, in a normal, normal offseason scenario. Because even that, I feel like that's not serious analysis. That's a shot at Taysom Hill. I feel like that's what it, was. it was. It right. was. It was. That's not actually tied to anything. I just wanted to get my well, Taysom Hill joke off the ground. Yeah. Well, you'll have plenty of time for him next week. Uh, running back Miles Sanders, RB ten in the expert consensus for some reason. Uh, Thirteen on our site. Seventeen for me. Sixteen for you. And ten in ADP. I want to shout out to Jay Moyer. FB at Jay Moyer FB on Twitter. 
Jamie Moyer, who now writes for uh, Fantasy Football Astronauts. A couple weeks ago, he just did a fantastic article. He does a lot of great tweets uh, about player analysis, film analysis, breaking down different players at different positions. And he talked about the idea that when you look at from an efficiency standpoint last year, Miles Sanders, yes, he was the guy the second half of the year, but efficiency-wise, he was 32 out of 35 running backs that qualified. He was not very good. And when you look at the film, he does an entire breakdown in his article from, I think it was about a week ago, where he was talking about Miles Sanders basically just blatantly missing holes. Just obvious, obvious running lanes that he was avoiding or taking too much time in the backfield to cut and make moves and try to make more out of a play than was actually there. Highly inefficient with the ball. Does he have talent? Sure. But I feel like his end to last season was more disappointing than anything else. Our guy, Boston Scott, he's 50 in the expert consensus, 51 in ADP, 35 on our site, 33 for me, and 32 for you. Of the two of them, Boston Scott is the guy I'd much rather own. Oh, yeah, 100%. Boston Scott, you at least get some value here. I don't even think Miles Sanders has a whole lot of return on investment at 16, where I have him ranked, to be honest, given the inefficiencies, given the fact that people want to downplay Boston Scott's involvement. Exactly. They And they look at the end of the season, like you said, for Miles Sanders. He's in a situation where he's not efficient. He couldn't even completely beat out Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard went down went down with injury a few times, and that's how he got more involved and people wanted to kind of crown him at that point. Oh, it's the second coming. He's going to come in and he's going to do all these great things. By On 179 attempts, he only managed 818 yards with three scores. Yards per attempt is fine, as we but we talk about that's a misleading stat. We talk about that all the time. Just in reality, he's not efficient enough to return much beyond the 16 that I have him at. So to see him at 10 is distressing. It leads me to believe that once again, the hype train has gotten off the rails and people are excited by the shiny new toy and they see the department of Jordan Howard and they want to just write off Boston Scott completely, which to me ignores history of the Eagles and even recent history. I'll see Boston Scott's performances from limited work last year. When they can, the Eagles like to employ multiple running backs. That's kind of central to their identity, especially under Peterson. They also like to have pass catching scat backs. This is the same team that had Darren Sproles for how many years and that they keep trying to figure out, you know, Corey Clement and things like that. It just, they keep trying to find an answer to that. And I think Boston Scott is that guy. I think he's going to do a significant amount of the pass catching for the Eagles that bears through in our projections and also my ranking. So for me, because in PPR, especially Scott's going to do so much of the dirty work of catching the football and he's going to be out there when they do hurry up and he's going to be out there. He's a better pass catcher than Miles Sanders is. If I, if you're telling me I have to overpay by six running back spots to get Miles Sanders at the back of the first round, I'm telling you that as we point out every week, you, you can't win your league in the first two picks, but you can certainly lose it. That's a great way to do that. To take the guy who's not efficient, limited sample size and not involved in the passing game as six. And that's just insanity. Uh, last year, remember Jordan Howard got hurt in week 10 from week 11 through 17 Miles Sanders in points per game was running back 12 in PPR scoring. 
That's what people want to focus on. That's what people want to fall in love with. Yes, he had a couple of big games in there. There's no doubt doubt about it. But again, it was big plays that kind of carried him through that. And to your point, he did dominate the carries during that time. And they've done nothing in this offseason to make me think that he won't dominate the carries. However, when I say dominate carries, it was more like 70-30. Yeah. Uh, it was more somewhere in, in that range. And in that, that's pretty in that much range. how we split it in our projections. is just about 70-30. But the targets were split 50-50. They heavily relied on Boston Scott, and he actually had more touchdowns in that stretch than Miles Sanders did. He was the guy getting the ball in goal line situations, not Miles Sanders. So we have the rushing touchdowns split evenly between the two of them because Boston Scott should be the guy getting the goal line work this year unless they add someone else. And then Boston Scott is the pass catcher as well. So to have him at running back 33 in our projection, I feel pretty comfortable with. That's why I have him ranked right around there. That's why I feel really good about Boston Scott this season. However, Miles Sanders, to your point, based on everything we have projected at running back 16. And to me, I feel like I can only go down from there. Boston Scott can only get more involved. I can't see a scenario where they just give the entire workload to Miles Sanders. And even if they do, we saw that when he had all of those rushes, remember when he had all those carries, when he was being used so much, he got hurt at the end of the season because he couldn't take the entire workload. So we figured they'd make some kind of move this offseason to give him some kind of relief. To this point, it hasn't been done. So that either makes me think that Boston Scott is a guy they really believe in or that another move is still coming and we just haven't seen the other shoe drop. I'm hoping it's the former, to be honest. Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm invested a little bit in Devonta Freeman. So if they want to make Devonta <laughs> Freeman... I would absolutely coast on them. I'd be okay with it. But uh, <laughs> I have Michael uh, Warren, their third back. They have, The expert consensus has it as Corey Clement. You also have Michael Warren. I feel like he has a shot definitely to make the team at this point uh, and certainly give some depth, but it will more than likely be like a practice squad guy or a special teams guy that won't have any kind of fantasy relevance outside of an injury. Other than that, it is a disaster in the running back room, which is kind of why people feel like Miles Sanders is going to be the undisputed guy, but I feel like you're paying too high of a price for it right now. So many people I'd rather have, but let's move on to wide receiver, Neil. Alshon Jeffrey, uh, he's currently on the active slash pup list. There is a possibility he could be activated before the season starts, but every indication we've been given is that he is not ready to start. He'll more than likely start on the pup list, which is why I adjusted my ranks accordingly. He's wide receiver 65 currently in the ECR, 64 on our site and with you, and 65 in the ADP, but I have him down at 79. Again, it's because I adjusted our projections to have him miss the first six games of the year, assuming that he will not be playing. Deshaun Jackson, wide receiver 60, 65 on our site, 57 with me, 66 with you, and 50 in ADP. When did I become the Deshaun Jackson guy? When did that? Uh, that's a good point. When did Maybe? that happen? I don't uh, know. That's an interesting point. Hmm. Well, you would think it would be the nerd, right? That the nerd would be well, the Sean Jackson guy. But we, so it could be. 
Well, also, I don't know. Maybe he learned because we mocked him so mercilessly throughout the season last year for that one Deshaun Jackson start that he got. When he got all in the chat, see, see, and we were like, okay. And then literally the next week, oh, that's the end of that train. <laughs> By week sixteen, see, see. Well, the one that everybody's in on is the rookie, Jalen Rager, wide receiver, 52 in the consensus, 60 on our site, 56 with me, 65 for you, 47 in the ADP. Again, Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Rager, they're both going to be playing mainly the outside. Uh, Jackson can shift into the slot if Alshon Jeffrey is playing. Um, but again, Deshaun Jackson is a guy who has that boomer bust potential last year. I hated it. I was all out on Deshaun Jackson. I am most years because most years it's Tyree kill. Most years you have to pay a fourth or fifth round pick. If you want to own Deshaun Jackson, that's not the case this year. This year you can have him basically for free. So if you're going to tell me that I can have Deshaun Jackson in the 11th round is what would potentially be like my sixth wide receiver at that point as Again, a total upside guy that I can play on matchups as a flex. Absolutely, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. Well, it's finally, it, this is finally the actual, like, what the ADP should be for Deshaun Jackson for the first time in what feels like five years. So, no, I'm completely fine with it. Like I said, I've got him at, I've got him at 66. And, you know, even if you had to go at 50, it would depend on how your roster's construction, construction would go. But if you desperately needed an upside guy because you went floor, for a lot of your team and you wanted to go with the 11th round and you felt really good about the return you were going to get, but you need those burners. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and it's a little rich for my blood, but I'm not going to sit here and absolutely poo poo it, even though it's not fully my preference, but at least this way, at least you're talking about an investing 11th round pick. You know what I mean? Again, when people are taking their handcuffs, you're talking about when we are usually talking about looking at like, okay, by now we've probably already maybe in the round before went quarterback, but you might be looking at, at quarterback or something, but if you've already gone quarterback, you know, there's, there's scenarios where I could see this making sense. And it's also a scenario where it has more to do with Rager. Me Rager. I've got at 65. I've got, I've got him rate rated effectively the same. And in a yeah. normal scenario, I'd be higher on Rager, but with the offseason being canceled, that was an adjustment I made. I, Alshon Jeffrey didn't get put on the PUP list. And that new story didn't come out until this week. So I am going to be dropping Alshon Jeffrey since it's almost overwhelmingly likely at this point that he's not starting the season. So he's going to come down and Deshaun's probably going to come up a little bit as a result of it. So that's the one adjustment because I'm making the adjustments in the background for the COVID opt-out thing on Thursday. So once that goes final, I'll be making another rank. Massive uptick in tight end uh, targets last year, but that was another argument that we've been making all year about anti Miles Sanders was sure. He was involved in the passing game, but he wasn't very efficient when he got opportunities, which is why Boston Scott saw the field so much. And part of the reason for that, that he was getting those opportunities was the lack of wide receivers. Jeffrey was hurt. Jackson was hurt. The, the whole receiving, the number one wide receiver was Greg Ward for crying yep. out. Who was out playing JJ Arcega Whiteside. Take that JJ Arcega Whiteside truthers. So yes, again, JJ Arcega downside as John like, or as uh, Jack calls him, <laughs> uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside is an interesting guy for me because projection now has him at wide receiver 102, which is obviously very deep down the list. But again, if you're in a deep bench league, he's going to be the third starter 
on a weekly basis with Alshon Jeffrey out for at least the first six weeks. He's going to have an opportunity to play himself into more playing time. And again, he was a rookie. So now he's had a full year in the offense. Again, crazy off season. If Rager is slow and Deshaun Jackson gets hurt again, like he tends to do, all of a sudden, Ortega Whiteside could be the number one option on this passing offense that we think is good enough to have Carson Wentz as a top 10 quarterback. So I, I, I don't know. Let's, that's what I'm saying. Ortega Whiteside is a guy that's definitely worth a shot to take a dart throw on at the back end of your draft, especially if you're talking about deeper leagues or dynasty. Nope. Yep. Because nope, again, yep. you can have it for pretty much for nothing. So it's a it's a perfect dart throw. And if you get, you're not going to have anything tied up in it. But this does also, by the way, gentle listener, speak to why we have Boston Scott rated the way that we do, as we talked yep. about. By the way, he catches the ball and he caught the ball last season at a 93 percent rate. Come on, come on, buddy. That's come on. That's that's not even that's not even real. Do I think he's going to do that again? No. But do I think that he's going to be close to that? Absolutely. Here's what I can tell you. It speaks to it because you just got this mash unit that we just went through at wide receiver still. Alshon Jeffrey's going to miss six games. Deshaun Jackson is... I find it hard to believe Deshaun Jackson's going to play 16 games. It's baked into it. Rager's probably going to have a slow start as good as we think he might actually end up being. It opens the door for guys like Arcega Whiteside, but also it speaks to how many targets that we think Scott's going to get. And then why are... We talked about wide receivers. The back end of wide out is John Hightower and Quez Watkins. Again, rookies who in dynasty, certainly worth a look, but in redraft, not worth your time. Tight end Zach Ertz. He's tight end three still for some reason in the expert consensus. I don't know. They, they've never heard of Mark Andrews, I guess. But no, it is four everywhere else. And I think we're all in line with that and fine with it. Uh, Dallas Goddard. 129 overall, tight end 17 in the expert consensus, 18 for the site and me, 17U, 17 for the ADP. Again, right in line with everything. So that that's all good there. The defense got slightly better, so maybe we're a little low on them, but top 12 in the expert consensus and ADP. Again, if you're reaching for a defense, you're doing it wrong. So let's take a quick break, Neil. When we get back, we will talk about that team over in Washington. All right, Neil, we're back. It is the D.C. Rivera's, a.k.a. the Washington football team. Uh, as noted in the name, former Panthers head coach Ron Rivera is now the man in D.C. He is tasked with revitalizing a franchise that's been stuck in the mud for basically a decade. Given his pedigree as a defensive guru and the addition of number two overall pick Chase Young, this should be an improved defensive unit from what we've seen over recent years, especially when you're talking about the run stop and the pass rush. Offensively, they have finally ended the Trent Williams saga, trading him over to San Francisco. They already lost Kelvin Hardman to a season-ending ACL injury, but they were able to add versatile guys like Antonio Gibson and wide receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden in the draft quarterback room Dwayne Haskins coming into year two also pat on the back Neil everybody scoffed in May when we said that the backup quarterback would be Alex Smith everybody everyone laughed <laughs> he's still in the league oh you guys are crazy he can't even walk you guys are insane <laughs> who's laughing now fools Alex Smith is the backup QB they also acquired Kyle Allen 
from Ron Rivera's old team, the Carolina Panthers. I didn't even put it on the offseason notes, Neil, because I didn't think it was relevant enough. Because they Kyle Allen cut, but he'll definitely make the team at this point. Oh yeah, why? They're happy to have him at this point, given the current pandemic and everything going around with the multiple quarterbacks necessary. I'm sure they're thrilled he's the third option. But, I mean, look, when you're talking about Dwayne Haskins, first of all, Dwayne Haskins absolutely is the starter. Alex Smith is a great story, but just a few months ago, Alex Smith couldn't even walk. He had surgery on his leg and had the muscle removed. Like, he couldn't even walk. And now you're talking about him playing football. And he passed his physical, and he'll probably make, he'll certainly make the team. But I, I think Jack brought up a great point. This is the Teddy Bridgewater situation. Th- this is from a couple years ago in Minnesota. Remember when Bridgewater had a year and a half or two years off after that horrific ACL tear he had, the full ACL MCL in practice that he missed two full seasons, and then he came back and they kept him on the roster behind Case Keenum as the backup all year. And then he made one pity start in week 17. And then they just let him go. It's cut him at the end of the year. I think that's the same situation here. Alex Smith is the break glass in case of emergency quarterback, but otherwise this is Dwayne Haskins team. No, that's absolutely how I have that rated. Um, Dwayne Haskins, look, it was a really, really rough start for Haskins and they, he did show improvement throughout the year, but I think that there's every chance that on week one, start of the season, that's how I have it projected. That's how I have it ranked. Dwayne Haskins is going to be your starter. And for better or for worse, the the good news for the R's, to the extent there is any, is, uh, well, if we saw enough of Kyle Allen last year that he wasn't horrible. He was 62% in terms of passing completion. He in limited work with a not a great, well, certainly a poor defense. And I was going to say not a great supporting cast, but he has DJ Warren. Christian McCaffrey. So he's got a, he's got two good players to work with on the offense. He he showed that while it was rough and while he made a lot of mistakes, at least he can amass numbers and kind of move the ball down the field and put up points to a certain level. It's the turnovers and the fumbles and everything else. So it's not like it's going to totally devalue any skill position players you may want if Haskins comes in, starts slow, and they move to Allen. So I'm not too worried about it from that perspective. To your point. With Dwayne Haskins last year, here's the story arc, which I find fascinating. So he was drafted with their first round pick last year. Jay Gruden said he had a shot to win the starting job. Then they gave the starting job to Case Keenum anyway. Keenum gets hurt in week four. Haskins comes in for the rest of that game. And we're talking about new era. Here he comes. Here comes the kid. Dan Snyder's going to call down. Hey, you better start my boy. Week five, they named Colt McCoy the starter instead. He gets hurt. Week six, they go back to a still slightly injured Case Keenum. Week eight, they finally bench Case Keenum in the fourth quarter after he's just getting killed out there for Dwayne Haskins. They name him the starter in week nine for the rest of the year. Week 16, he gets hurt himself, and Keenum plays the second half. Even though he was good to go, medically cleared, they sat him out week 17 as a precaution. So it was a very weird year. And when you look at the numbers, those first four games, so the first four games of the season, he barely had any playing time. He just had the one appearance after the injury to Case Keenum. And then again, he had very briefly an appearance in week eight when he came in. But weeks nine through 12, 
last year, Dwayne Haskins had a two and two record, 60 completions on 111 attempts. So 54% completion percentage. That's pretty terrible. Only two touchdowns and two picks. Uh, sacked 18 times. He had 116 yards rushing the ball again, or, or lost 116 yards from the sack. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong line. But again, uh, rushing 14 attempts for 53 rush yards. N- not spectacular numbers. The last three or last four games he played, weeks 13 through 16, 47 for 70. So up to 67% completion percentage for 564 yards, five touchdowns and an interception, reduced the sacks to just seven. So cut them over in half and then four rushes for 25 yards. So less scramble happy in the last half of the year, but much more efficient with the ball, higher touchdown to interception ratio, 67% completions. And when you look at the numbers side by side, basically the numbers he put up in his rookie year are nearly identical to the seven game stretch that Jared Goff put up in his rookie year. And we all know the leap that he took the second season. Now, granted, Dwayne Haskins doesn't have that type of skill set, and he doesn't have Sean McVay. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that's the biggest thing. <laughs> he has the rushing floor that Jared Goff has never had. So Haskins is absolutely a guy I think can take a step this year. I think he's an interesting deep sleeper, especially in Dynasty or in a deep league. I still have him ranked QB 29 from a fantasy perspective, but he's not someone that I'm just going to poo-poo and throw away. He's someone you got to keep an eye on because he could break out in a big way. He deserves to be at the back end of of quarterback in terms of in terms of like guys that you might actually want to start. He's earned at least that much, and so would Kyle Allen theoretically if he was going to be named the starter. It wouldn't change. So that's at least you could feel good about it from a skill position standpoint. All right, running back. Remember, there were so many guys in this this running back room when we started the off season. There's still a ton of guys there. None of them matter, but uh, <laughs> not a lot of them matter. You got Darius Geis, who I just can't quit. Expert consensus, 32, 33 on the site. I've got him 41, but we all know that'll never last. We all know that I've got him ranked 41, but if he's there at 30, I'm going to take him because I just can't quit him. I just can't do it. I can't get away from him. You can't help yourself in the draft room either. You end up reaching on your own projection. 37 for you, 31 in the ADP. Look, Geis is a guy we've talked about for two years now as somebody who could project to be a top 20 running back if he stays healthy he just hasn't stayed healthy and last year in the few games that he played before he got hurt again he was pretty efficient and was a rb2 during that stretch so he could be a value for for what you're paying for him but again you're paying a sixth round pick at this point absolutely somebody to target if you're going zero rb because the upside you know potential top 10 15 guy given the volume and workload. It's just, can he stay healthy is the question mark. Yeah. And for me, I think I've got him projected one less game than everyone else, which is why I'm six spots lower than the experts in ADP. Uh, Adrian Peterson is still there, but it doesn't really matter at this point. Antonio Gibson's the guy I want to talk about though. Do you want to pour one out for Bryce love or no? Did he really earn pour one out status? If I was going to pour one out for anyone, it would be Adrian Peterson. That's fair. I that's actually it. how I would have approached it. Yeah, that's that's kind of my so Antonio Gibson, the rookie. Uh, there was debate about if he was going to be their slot receiver or their running back. They said he's going to wear a number in the 20s and that he's going to be a running back all year. So ranked RB 52 in the expert consensus. 
48 in ADP. I'm right there with him. 52 on our site, 49 for you. Antonio Gibson's a guy with a unique skill set that we have said many times this offseason looks a lot like Chris Thompson, and we all saw how good that can be. It's so fitting that he ended up there, too, because he's going to look exactly like Chris Thompson in that uniform, doing the exact same job. But also, remember... Hey, you... look at Chris Thompson out there. Wait, that's not Chris Thompson? Wow, that guy's faster and younger than Chris Thompson. Look at him go. The uh, Also, remember, we talked about the idea that in Dallas, Tony, we thought at one point in time, it's not true anymore, given the draft. But remember, Tony Pollard might be seeing more time in the slot. That's the same. That's the Antonio Gibson argument. Yeah. He might be seeing more time in the slot. He's certainly going to be the pass catching Chris Thompson running back, but he has further potential because they're so devoid of talent, candidly, down there that he might actually find his way as one of the primary slot targets. And that, that gives him an interesting edge. You want to pour one out to uh, Trey Quinn? I do. This one is personal uh, for me. That's okay. personal for me. Goodbye, Trey. I'm sorry. We all wanted it to work, but that's well over. Uh, so Scary Terry, which is, again, his nickname. I don't care what you say. That is his nickname. Uh, you wide receiver 22. Wide receiver 24 on our site. 21 for me, 22 for you, 24 in ADP. We will come back to Terry. Gandy Golden uh, is now going to be the outside guy. The hot one is Steven Sims, who had a deep hot streak the last i want to say eight games of last season in the slot uh he got a lot of work in the red zone wide receiver 79 and ecr 81 on our site 81 me 83 you not drafted right now so steven sims has upside is he somebody that you want to target late i mean we both have him right around 80 so deep league right Deep league, yes. Deep league, I'll take my shot because I'm not going to have much of an investment in it. And if you end up, it, it would be easy for him to outkick his projection at that point. And I think he has an outside chance to do it because, again, he's the only other slot guy they have that isn't being <laughs> that isn't playing running back. You know, you know what I mean? There's two guys that have a shot at this job at this point, and that's it. Because again, poor one out for Trey Quinn. Sorry, Trey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The. The Riveras, by the way, last year ran the least amount of offensive plays in the league. So it's hard to really get behind any of these guys. I get it. But still, Antonio Gandy-Golden now has basically an uncontested shot at the number two uh, slot role with, uh, with Kelvin Harmon getting hurt and missing the year. So Antonio Gandy-Golden becomes the number two on the outside. Wide receiver 56, though, in the expert consensus. 20 full spots almost behind Steven Sims. Whereas I've got him at 74, you've got him at 73 and he's going 67 uh, in the 15th round of ADP. So people taking a shot on Gandy golden. Doesn't surprise me because there's a certain amount of adjustment that needs to happen and people are approaching it different ways with the Harmon injury. So I, I, for me, it's not, it's not so much something that I, that I feel strongly about for Gandy golden, but the, what that injury does for me and, I get why people would want to do that because you're pretty late in the draft. You know what I mean? I don't think I want to go to to 67 or certainly not 56. But for me, it was more of an adjustment, giving some of that Harmon work back over to the aforementioned Scary Terry. So Logan Thomas, Jeremy Sprinkle, and our outside shot of undrafted free agent Thad Moss are the tight ends, none of which matter for fantasy purposes. Nope, totally wrong. Logan Thomas is going to probably be the starter. Really don't care. Doesn't matter. None of it is worth your time. And the defense is also terrible. 
So the only thing that does matter here is Terry McLaurin. And we had this discussion about, does it matter who the quarterback is? And I would say, theoretically speaking, right? We saw what Kyle Allen just did last year for DJ Moore. We saw what Alex Smith was able to do for his mod podge of guys with Washington the year he was there before he got hurt. And then everything that was happening, of course, with Kansas city. So we've seen him be able to support fantasy wide receivers and be fine. The technical worst case scenario, quote unquote, worst case is that Dwayne Haskins keeps the job. So I don't think the quarterback debate actually matters in the sense of what Terry McLaurin ends up doing. And after we adjusted the projections and bumped up Gandy Golden and even bumped up Sims based on what they did last year, again, assuming they throw the ball more to the running backs because of Antonio Gibson, because you've got Adrian Peterson still, you've got Geis theoretically healthy, that if they give a higher target share to the running backs, taking targets away from the wide receivers, so they throw to wide receivers less, it's still so much Terry McLaurin's job that at 121 targets, at over 1,100 yards and five touchdowns, Terry McLaurin comes in projected at our wide receiver 14. And when you're looking at the guys that I currently have ahead of him, again, I have him ranked 21, and I said I wanted to bump him up, and I just don't know where. Well, tier three is 10 through 20 for me, a wide receiver. And that's Galladay, Woods, Schuster, Cooper, Hilton, Sutton, Lockett, Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Odell Beckham, and Calvin Ridley. Terry McLaurin is literally the number one guy in tier four. Given what's happened here with Kelvin Harmon, I will move him up into tier three. The question is just how high. And for me, I feel like he's going to come right in around 18, just a notch ahead of A.J. Brown. So does he move the needle at all for you, Neil? Yeah, because of this whole injury situation, and also we wanted to wait for the COVID, you know, opt-out situation to kind of resolve itself. I've got him right in that. I've got him right immediately in front of him. I've got uh, T.Y. Hilton, Adam Thielen, Calvin Ridley, and D.K. Metcalf. And for me, I have a feeling he's going to slot in just ahead of Adam Thielen. So he'll be right in at 19. I have a hard time pushing him past T.Y., but because just because I think there's even more upside on what T.Y. could offer you. But yeah, he's going to move up just with the the lack of other options, to be very candid. And to your point, even with giving more to the running backs, because we think that that's more than likely going to be how this plays out. There's no there's no competition. And he himself kind of proved throughout the season last year that he's a budding superstar. Could you imagine, for example, we talked about this off, offline as well. Could you imagine Terry McLaurin on a real team? <laughs> right. Do you imagine Terry McLaurin on like the Cardinals? Because they'd be devastating. <laughs> like it's that's that's the only thing capping Terry McLaurin's upside. Right. There was a lot last year made about the fact that after he had that hot start with Case Keenum, that he had a whole stretch there when Haskins took over the job, basically from weeks seven through thirteen where his highest scoring game uh, in PPR, yeah, what was it? Week 7 through 13, his highest scoring game was a 12.2. It was his only game over 10. He had a 9.9 in there, and then he had a bunch of games under 8. 
So he had a, a stretch where he was struggling. But again, in that stretch from weeks 13 through 16, when Haskins was the guy and Haskins got more efficient and the passes got better and he got better with the football, McLaurin had a, again, 2.8 in week 13. That is what it is. But a 15.7, a 24, and a 15.6. So when Haskins got right at the end of the season, when it started to click for him finally, uh, McLaurin was his guy unquestioned, and he had 15 points or more in each of those games. So I don't know. Absolutely a guy that I'm, I'm curious to see what happens this year. But I'm all about. I feel like he has the skill set to take a, a second year uh, jump here, as we talk about. Right? I, I love to throw that in Jack. Shout out every, to Jack. <laughs> every podcast from here on out, just sophomore slump, second year jump. Just going to keep throwing that out there. Love uh, you, Jack. <laughs> uh, but that's going to wrap us up, Neil. That's that's going to end the NFC East. Next week, we have the NFC South, so you can get all your Taysom Hill jokes in. Just get them Oh, good. Ready. I'm going to have to write them down. Yeah, I'll get them all collated. That's perfect. That'll be like most of the show. Uh, for all of the, the Taysom Hill hate before then, where can the people find you on the socials? You can find me at Nonsense underscore Neil, as always, Twitter and the Fantasy Life app. And we are taking all trade questions, as always. Uh, check out the updated uh, trade table with the July updates from myself and my man, Wes Smith. No relation. And we will... Uh, we will have another update here in about a week once the COVID window locks and we will be making the next set of adjustments to your trade table to get you ready for the season. Perfect. Uh, you can follow the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NonsenseFF. You can follow us in the Important Nonsense community page on the Fantasy Life app and make sure you're subscribing to the pod. Wherever you listen, leave us a five-star review. You can follow me everywhere at Nonsense underscore Steve. And uh, you know what? Shout out to our guy at Tim Kitzrow because we haven't done that in a little while. So shout out, Tim. Uh, Thank you, Tim. Once again. Make sure you uh, keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzrow from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!